0: Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. So, here in our fourth and final week of our study on Sabbath, we kind of get to the culmination point. <laughs> we get to this practice that we see lived out in the life of Jesus. And we hear this invitation to engage in what really is kind of a countercultural concept for us to set intentional time aside to stop, to rest to delight, and to worship. So how has your experience with Sabbath been so far? We've been inviting you into this, this, this invitation. Just kind of hold that question in your mind for a minute. How has your experience with Sabbath been? But well, maybe some of you have found moments of profound peace and refreshing, moments when getting outside of your routine or perhaps moments of intentionally engaging in new routines has really left you feeling different, left you feeling fulfilled and, and uh, blessed in ways that you haven't experienced in a long time, left you hungry for more. <laughs> but I would also be willing to guess that if you're like me, <laughs> you've also found yourself in these moments of time set aside just kind of falling into familiar routines. You know, maybe your Saturday night was pretty busy because you had a dinner party with friends or an event with your family. And perhaps you stayed up a little later than you anticipated watching a movie or watching a show or something. Sunday morning comes around and you wake up kind of in this fugue and you have that age old decision to make. Should I get ready and get over to church? You know, should we try to rush and make it? I mean, we got to get the kids up and everything, but you decide to give it a go. And then after church, you grab lunch and the wait time is a little longer than you anticipated. And maybe the place is kind of crowded and noisy and it leaves you kind of feeling stressed out. But you still have a few errands to run. And so you got to get those run on the way home, at which point you just crash for that Sunday afternoon nap or perhaps you watch a game or whatever it is. Maybe you doze, maybe you crash hard, but you have a couple of chores still to do, and so you gotta rouse yourself after dinner and get those chores done. You don't really feel like cooking, and so you just get some leftovers that, well, maybe the leftovers are uninspiring, so you have to order out, you know? Anyway, I'm describing a typical Sunday for me. <laughs> I don't know if this is for you, You know, when I look at this, when I look at this routine, sure, like I didn't technically engage in work, but you know, that Sabbath feels a bit more sabbish to me. You know, it's sabbish, Sabbath-like, right? You know, I, I, sure I stopped, sure I rested, maybe I delighted in some things here and there, but you know, honestly felt like it, it can feel still like something's missing, when you just have those first three ingredients. I don't say this even with a hint of judgment because I'm right there. Sometimes our schedules, our seasons of life, perhaps even our job schedule, it just doesn't leave us much room for much else. So there's no condemnation or shame here. But even in the brief moments of Sabbath rest that we find, There's an important final element to help make Sabbath be more like Sabbath without the idea of worship. Our Sabbath kind of just is a day off, you know? The late great pastor Eugene Peterson calls this the unacknowledged offspring of the ancient practice, much more resembling the modern secular day off. So how do we keep Sabbath from becoming sabbish? Worship, worship is the key ingredient in guarding our Sabbath practice in whatever form it takes from steering clear of just another day off. As we continue, I invite you to pray with me. Holy God, may your word give us the power to comprehend with all the saints the length And the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ and the fullness of life that you offer. Amen. Amen. In our recent studies on Sabbath, we've learned that not only is this a blessed, life-restoring invitation to rest, but that God has made Sabbath holy. We've been reading out of Genesis quite often, Genesis two, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. You know, in the ancient world in which these scriptures were written, it was common for places to be known as holy. The pantheon of gods that were known by many of the nations surrounding Israel were found in the world in space, not necessarily in time, meaning they were found on a holy mountain or perhaps in a holy temple or perhaps even in a cave. You know, the the pantheon of gods were found in location. So following the ancient understanding of where things that are holy are found, you would expect God to make a holy place, but no, God makes a holy day, a holy time. So if you want to find this God, you don't need to climb a mountain or travel to a shrine. He's all around us. All we need to do is set aside the time to come awake to become alive to his presence within us. This Hebrew word for holy, the set-aside day, in scripture is kadosh, and it literally means unique, special, uncommon. Kadosh, it's something that's unique, special, or uncommon. So in our pursuit of worship and Sabbath, we cannot escape the idea that our practices, our rhythms, our activities, should be seeking to rest in this idea of finding something unique, something special, something uncommon, kadosh. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And few find it. So what Jesus is acknowledging here is this can be hard. (laughs) This takes work. It takes great intention, care, even focus to fight against the currents of our culture and to live in order to find intentional kadosh on Sabbath. My grandparents, Wilson and Mildred McGuire, lived in Oklahoma in the panhandle of Texas. During the Years of the Great Depression, the 20s and 30s. Life was brutal, the stories that they have. But during this era, there was something really kind of cool that happened. Food companies, of all things, and grocery stores began distributing glassware, these place settings made of glass, and it was known as depression glass. Here's a picture. This isn't grandma's glass, but it shows you the stuff. You've probably seen this. They have it in green and all these colors. My grandma had her eyes, her sights set on collecting a full dinner service of this glassware. You know, it was beautiful. She chose the pink translucent stuff. And so over the years, grandma and grandpa worked on their collection. They looked for, at the time, like if you bought a, a certain box of Quaker oats, you'd get a coupon to get a piece of this glass from your grocery store. Or many like products across the shelves would have like these glassware uh, tickets or coupons and you could collect them up and then buy the piece that you needed, that cake plate or whatever it was. And so it took some time, it took some collaboration with family and friends, but eventually grandma had her collection set. She had it all put together and boy, was it special. (laughs) You know, they had a special hutch. You guys have probably seen these this hutch with glass doors and they stored this precious glassware on display and on very special occasions, almost holy occasions, this pink dishware was brought out and the family was able to eat on it. The glassware was holy. Even though it was free, Pretty much. I mean, you just had to buy your groceries, right? And you got this stuff. And it took time and it took effort to acquire. Therefore, it was guarded and protected as special. And it was enjoyed on very special occasions. My mom still has grandma's hutch in that glassware. And it remains a testament to my grandma's faithfulness to go after something special even in what might have been considered common, but she made it special. Do you see the Sabbath connection? The Sabbath is free. It takes some effort though to lean into, but when you do, it becomes Kadosh, it becomes special. You know, when we hear this idea of worship, this worshiping of something holy, even in in the common times, the common spaces of our day. When we hear the word worship, a lot of us just kind of default to singing, especially if we've been in and around the church. Singing is like, well, that's worship. All the other stuff isn't. And of course, if uh, you've been around here very long, you recognize that we intentionally try to worship in a variety of ways. You know, we do sing, obviously, but we also recite common words together. We hear scripture. We pray common prayers together. We sit in silence and allow the ambiance of this wooden roof and the creaking and the cracking to kind of speak to our hearts. Just hearing the nearness of other people around you without noise, that's holy. We gather at the Lord's table. You know, you get the idea. Our worship takes on many forms but they all aim to orient or perhaps to reorient our lives around our center, our God, our creator who loves us. Sure, our go-to may be to sing, but there's many ways that we worship, giving of our time with FFH, giving of our resources, our attention and our affection to God in a variety of ways, yielding our will, over to God's will. Anything we do that centers our heart, centers our mind on God, directing us to His glory and His goodness is worship. Have you noticed the progression that we've been going through in our discussions of Sabbath? It really kind of is like the layers of the onion. First, we have to stop. Until we stop, we can't do the other parts. First, we need to stop. Then we need to rest. And once we're rested, we can start to notice delight in the things that we share, a meal, time with one another. We almost can't help but burst into spontaneous worship as we've found ourselves now in this moment of stop, rest, and delight. Our gratitude and praise to the wonder of God in his goodness for us. Ruth Haley Barton has a book called Sacred Rhythms and she has this quote from her chapter on the Sabbath. I know what it's like to rest for hours until I finally have the energy to delight in something good. Food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. And I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight. And delight then turns into gratitude and gratitude into worship. The Sabbath is a means by which we enter into what Jesus calls the kingdom of God or the reign of God. When we Sabbath, we enter in to God's will be done on earth, in us, and around us. The Sabbath is so much more than a set of do's and don'ts. As we come to the end of this series, I hope you hear that. The Sabbath is so much more than a list of do's and don'ts. There's a heart orientation that's key to Sabbath. There's a freedom for us. And this freedom unlocks delight in worship that is vital to keeping the Sabbath and becoming, keeping the Sabbath from becoming sabbish. <laughs> we see Jesus interacting with the Sabbath in many ways. We're gonna look at one. This is Matthew 12, one through eight. It should be on the screens for us. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry. So they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them, but some Pharisees saw them do it and protested, look, your disciples are breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Really? (laughs) So Jesus said to them, haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? They went into the house of God and he and his companions broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And haven't you read the law of Moses that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you that there was no one who was even greater than the temple, but you would not have But you would not have condemned my innocent disciples if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For the Son of man is the Lord, even over the Sabbath. I want you to show mercy, not sacrifices. That's a scripture from Hosea chapter six in which Jesus is reminding these people who are condemning them, that yes, there are guidelines, but more important than guidelines, God wants our hearts. Later in this same passage, still on the Sabbath, Jesus and his disciples are in the temple worshiping, and outside of the temple, a beggar has a deformed hand. Jesus, moved with compassion, heals the man Only to once again have these teachers of the law come crashing down upon him for accusing him of working on the Sabbath. Clearly, they were missing the point. (laughs) Our Sabbath worship is an invitation into the awe and wonder of God who lives, who loves, and who cares for us. But it's also an invitation into the kinds of motivations and actions that Jesus demonstrated as God. Was moving and acting in the miraculous kingdom around him. So, this Sabbath practice that we've been working towards, that we've been learning about, it interacts with us in a variety of ways. Sabbath practice looks backward and it looks forward in time, it's an aftertaste of the garden, of the beauty that God created in the world. And it's a foretaste of the fulfillment of God's new creation, when Jesus restores all things to their original design. When we gather for a Sabbath meal around the table with a diverse family of God, maybe friends, maybe family, maybe kin, maybe just neighbors, brothers and sisters, bound together around the table in the love of Jesus. Hosts and honored guests. We eat the bread and we drink the wine. We give thanks and we sing and we laugh and we dance and we celebrate and we revel in this sense that all is well. This is not just a sign of salvation. This is salvation lived out. And what makes the Sabbath joyful? It's not just food around the table, although that's pretty good. It's not just family and friends. It's not just a day off. It's delight and worship in God. Recognizing all that he's done and all that he has promised to do. It's recognizing God, the Spirit, the Son, this Trinitarian community lived out not only in all time and space, but in our connections with one another. He is what we crave deeply. Whether we put the name of God to this ache or misdiagnose it as some other desire, it is God. It's the image of God in us that's calling us. Dan Allender says it like this, for six days I wrestle with a world under the toil of the curse, soiled by the oil of humanity's commerce, deeply longing for the bright wings of of bright wings to come down and on each day, At best, it is a repletion of the day before, unless the next day is the Sabbath. It is the queen of all days, the day in which division, destitution, death are put aside to celebrate our union with God, the abundance of his love and the wild hope of his coming kingdom. It is a day of holy friction, a day when the promise of God is fulfilled on the stage where we write the script and take the roles that we most want to act out in his glory. In other words, Sabbath is the day of worship. I think you're getting it. (laughs) But as we wrap up, I have one more quote. This one captivated me, but it also kind of scared me. I hope you hear the tension, but also the good promise in this one. This comes from social critic, David Foster Wallace, he gave this in a commencement speech at a graduation, and he says this about worship. In the day-to-day trenches of the adult life, there is no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping everyone worships. The only choice we get is what we are going to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else we choose to worship, it will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap into real meaning in life, you'll never have enough. You'll never feel that you have enough. If you worship your body, beauty, your allure, you will always feel ugly. And When time and age start showing up, <laughs> you know, every morning you're just gonna die another death as you look in the mirror and think, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. If you worship power, you are always gonna feel weak and afraid. You'll never, ever feel like you have enough power over others. There's always going to be somebody. You'll never have enough power to keep the fear at bay. If you worship your intellect and being smart, you'll end up feeling like a fraud because you recognize that there might be something you don't know, which is always going to be true, (laughs) always on the verge of being found out and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It is that they are unconscious. They are default set things. They're the kind of worship that you just gradually slip into day to day. So the question isn't, do you worship? It's who or what? Do you worship? And if you and if we become like who or what we worship, as the wisdom tradition has long said, then what kind of person is our worship forming us into? You will orient your life around something. You'll put your faith and your hope and your love into something. You'll find your identity, your community, and your sense of meaning and purpose into something. And I'm not saying that the things that we engage in, whether it's our work or whether it's our hobbies or whether it's our activities, are evil. But the question is, do we bring God into it with us? (laughs) The simple question is, what will we pursue and how will we pursue it? What will we become? What will remain our center? What will be the rudder by which we enjoy and delight in all that life has to offer? And no matter how good or noble the pursuit is, the moment that we elevate that thing above God and his promises is the moment in which we begin to feel untethered. <laughs> we, and we, kind of in, we begin to kind of unravel because nothing can bear the weight of our worship other than God, our Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Sabbath is a day of worship. All week long, the false gods of the world try to lure us into an orbit around some other gravity. But God's pull is always at work. Hopefully, through this series, you felt that invitation in little ways, maybe big ways, But this promise of rest, this sense of joy, satisfaction, identity, community, all are leading us in to the promise that God has for us, to recognize his holiness, to worship him. On the Sabbath, we come back to what centuries of Christians have called the holy center. In your worship folders you'll find kind of along with our sermon notes a couple of activities a couple ways that we can live into or lean into this idea of worship in our sabbath practice the first this is kind of a century age-old method of prayer called fixed hour prayer so if you've been enjoying sabbath if perhaps you've gotten to the point where you have a couple hours maybe even a day set aside in which you try to worship here and there one activity you can do to help elevate or ingest worship into that is perhaps set a couple timers maybe every couple hours and a reminder to simply stop and pray whether you do that just Kind of the way we traditionally pray, you just say a quick prayer, or perhaps you pull your journal out and you write it so you can kind of concentrate on it. Another ancient way of praying is just praying the Psalms. Psalm 23, 37, 105, 103, these are all great Psalms to just read through as a prayer. You can also do this by listening to worship music or by praying with a friend or going on a walk and noticing God all around you. Just finding intentional moments of prayer. The second would be identify two or three practices by which you feel most connected to God. It's gonna be different for me as for you. Even maybe your spouse, your kind of natural go-to way of feeling the most connected to God might be different than your spouse. Uh, A guy named Gary Thomas has a book called Sacred Pathways. Sacred Pathways helps you kind of identify, perhaps through your temperament, ways that might be your go-to. Things like a naturalist, someone who feels most connected to God in nature. Things like the sensate, someone who needs the candle lit and needs the room just right. You know, once you get everything set, then you can kind of focus on God. Perhaps the aesthetic, someone who just wants to turn off the noise and be alone and quiet. Find ways that you, find, find, that you feel most connected with God and simply do those things. Perhaps lean towards those as opposed to some of the natural things that we gravitate to in our culture. In our stopping, in our resting, in our delight, and in our worship, we experience God in Sabbath. I hope this has been life-giving for you. I hope you don't feel like we're laying one more thing upon your busy life, your busy schedule. Really, if anything, the invitation is to perhaps find the one or two things that you can knock off your schedule and find some rest. I hope you hear the promise, the invitation. We've talked about mechanics and how we might practice Sabbath over the last few weeks, but the promise remains the same. May we learn the unforced rhythms of God's grace as we stop, as we rest, as we delight, and as we worship. Allowing this to center us on the God who loves us, the God who created us, the God who cares for us. May we enter into his rest. Thanks be to God.